You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I'm Mignon Francois, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. We all face struggles. Some are financial, some physical, and some emotional. None of us escapes this life unscathed. For me, it was the death of my father when I was seven years old, the learning disability that threatened my capacity to read, and even being a religious outsider in a somewhat homogenous neighborhood. Even so, it's hard to compare our traumas. It's hard to find equivalents in the scales. Some of the things others lacked, I had. Some of the things I lacked, others had. But I often lament that comparison is fruitless. We only understand our own wins and losses. We only live in our own head. Yet, to overcome our traumas, big or small, we often have to come to some universal truths. We are enough. We are good enough, smart enough, even lovable enough to not only survive, but thrive. I cannot for a moment speak to the journey my guest today has made. I have not grown up black in America, had a baby at the age of 17, nor have I had to decide between an electricity bill and feeding my children's hungry bellies. I have never had an axe leveled at my head. And yet, we share a piece of this journey when it comes to building self-love, confidence, and ultimately, success. Mignon Francois leveraged her last $5, the only money to feed her family, and turned it into a $10 million cupcake empire, the Cupcake Collection. Drowning in debt, raising six children, and living in a broken marriage, Mignon decided it was time to take a chance on herself when starting her business. Her highly anticipated memoir is entitled Made from Scratch, Finding Success Without a Recipe. Mignon Francois, welcome to Earn and Invest. I want to start with a quote from your book that really hit me. You Mm -hmm. say, so the first lesson in legacy building, there is power in a name. So tell me about yours. Yeah, this is so good. I just was drinking in everything that you had to say. And I don't know if it's just, you know, the, the pentameter of your voice, but I just, I just really received everything that you had to say. I believe that our purpose is shared with us from the time that we're born. 
I believe if there's nothing new under the sun, then the way that children are being named are still being named the same way as they were in biblical times. We're just so far away from God that we don't believe that he's still speaking. And I believe that children are still being named by God, whispering to their parents what they will be and how they will show up in the world. And if you do not know what the name means, you will live up to the adversary that's set up against it. So I've I've spent a lot of time teaching people to search for the etymology of their name or the meaning of it. And just to go deeply, and we've been finding out that people are finding so much about their personalities and who they are, who they've shown up in places by the meaning of their name, even when they don't know what their name means, or they say, oh, my name doesn't have a meaning. It's just my mom's name mixed with my dad's name. Well, that's where you look for then the meaning of your name. And my name means beautiful. And that's just like just one of the meanings. There's so many meanings connected to my name. And I've always just thought it was only French, but I found even though it has, you know, French origins, it's sort of shows up in other languages as well. And the meaning of it is just a little bit tweaked. Um, But in some languages, it means friend um, or friendly. And when you look at it in its main language, which is French, it means beautiful or petite or dainty, right? And so when I finally tacked into that my name means beautiful and I always thought I was ugly, (laughs) I started realizing that everything that the enemy wanted me to have was against whatever God said. And so if God said that I was pretty, then he had to make me believe that I was ugly. And so I spent most of my life believing that I was ugly until I found out that God had called me beautiful. And if God called me pretty, then I must be gorgeous. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's sometimes I still battle with it, not nearly as much now at this day and age, but I I struggled with it for a long time to accept that God had said something about me and that I needed to walk in that. And when I finally learned that that I was pretty, I then started believing I was good enough. And then I started believing that when people looked at me, they weren't looking at me and say, oh, what is she doing here? What's she wearing that for? Why does her hair look like that? To, oh, she's pretty. And then that started coming for me. And it's kind of like when you smile, the whole world smiles back at you. You know that quote? Like it's it's the same thing. When you believe something about yourself, the whole world returns it back to you. So your name, among other things, means beautiful. The cards were a little stacked against you when you're younger to feeling that sense of beauty. Talk about growing up. I mean, there were definitely a lot of roadblocks in your way. Yeah, I... My mother raised us as a single parent, but we we knew who our father was by his character and, you know, like his name. We moved back home to New Orleans where we were from when I was about 10 years old. And so that was the first time that I ever really saw other children who looked like me, whose fathers also weren't in their home. So I finally started to be like one of the other kids. 
And then my stepmother and I, it's it's so weird to call her a stepmother because I have this say like she did live on the steps. So I just feel like <laughs> women who come into children's lives are parents that come and help other parents, you know, raise their children. We need a, a better name than step. Right. But I learned to celebrate because of her. Like my birthdays were spent at my father's house because my birthday is in the summer. So summers were at my dad's. And so we were, we spent a lot of time with her and my love for cake and what ultimately becomes my living comes from her. And it's just one of the things that I have been saying, Jordan, is that I think everybody should write a memoir. Everybody should write their story down because I've had such a full circle moment and an aha understanding of who my parents were and what it was they were trying to teach me and all the things that I thought were wrong with me and the things I was running from were all of the things that were the best of both of my parents wrapped up into this little girl that was just a little awkward or a little different. But in the it was really the things that made me the best of who I am and the giving generosity of who my father was. I had been trying my whole life to try not to be just so forgiving and giving to other people when I was never going to escape it because this is who he was. And unfortunately, I never learned that until the day we buried him. It's an interesting dichotomy because it sounds like the parental figures in your life were very supportive and loving. And yet there was this tension between you and your dad and your own sense of feeling worthy. Yeah. And they say that if you don't get a good relationship with your father as a young child, you'll have self-esteem issues. And that's definitely been that's something I just learned as I finished the book and I've been going around talking about it. And it's definitely been a running theme in my life. And not only that tension between, you know, wanting to be loved by my father, but also my mother as well. My mother loved her kids. She was a cheerleader for us and just wanting to be perfect because she was perfect. And now that I'm an adult and now that I've written this book, I realize I've been walking in the same direction that she was walking. And one of the things I've told my children unapologetically, when I slam this baton into your hand and tell you, take the rest of this relay on and run this race, please do not go back to the scratch line and run the same race that I've run. And for people who are going to get the book and read it, they're going to see that that's exactly what I did. Because nobody shared with me the struggles and the triumphs, the victories, they're just being my parents and they weren't telling me their stories. I didn't know that I had gone all the way back to scratch and I ran the same race that my mother had run. And so that's the thing that I want to do for my children is to teach them the things, the mistakes, the wins that I've had, and not to be too afraid to say I wasn't perfect so that they won't run the same race that I, that I ran. That race that you ran, that your parents also ran, was colored by poverty, right? Or at least not having much money. Yeah, yeah. And I think I even did a worse job. <laughs> I did a worse job than my parents is because my father was a provider. Like we always had anything that, that we needed. My mother struggled to make ends meet, but we lived in a very middle-class 
sort of almost affluent type neighborhood. My mother, you know, would string together three jobs in order to make sure that her children lived the life that she dreamed about for us. But it was always on that verge of, if God doesn't come through, I don't know what we're going to do. And at the same time, my father, you know, provided, well, he had another household. He was, he was providing for two families, right? Because he had a whole nother life and family that he was raising. But at the same time, he, he was a good, he was a good provider. And so had I, had I not had those experiences, not seen my mother live in front of us and say, you know, I go to God for everything that we need. I don't know where I would be right now because it was that strength that colored my life. And as I tell a couple of stories inside the book, I tell an offering story, right? And I know that you've read the book. And so you see my mother has an offering story too. And when you look at our lives stretched out by 30 years, we had the same offering story. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. I don't want my children to be in a position where they've had to face saying, okay, God, if you don't come through, I I don't know how we're eating today. And I, I, I not that I don't want them to, to depend solely on God, but I think God calls us to be financially and fiscally responsible. And I think that I wasn't making good financial decisions, knowing the way that my parents raised me, knowing that they had come from some really hard times. I got my first credit card when I was 15 years old, and I got punished from that credit card when I was 15 (laughs) years old, too, because my mother got a hold to the bill and decided to open it because she was just opening bills, not realizing. And she saw that I had a balance on my credit card. And she was like, oh, no, ma'am, bring me all of the things that is on this credit card. And I got punished from the clothes I bought. I got punished from the credit card. And she took my paycheck until I paid the entire balance because she wanted her children to be credit worthy. Because to her, that that said something about your character and about, about how, how people could trust you. And so she wanted us to be she wanted us to be fiscally responsible. So she started teaching us young so that we wouldn't go through the things that she went through. And then I went and did the same things, almost the exact same way that she did them. So my mother wasn't a teen mom. So I think I kind of flubbed it up even a little bit more. <laughs> I was about to say, what was her reaction when you came home in 17 and said, uh, guess what, mom? I'm pregnant. <laughs> I, I was so, so scared to come home and tell my mom that. Like, you know, I feel like I I go so into it, into the book about, about how, you know, what her reaction was, but my mom didn't end up speaking to me for like two weeks. And you had some help. Yeah. (laughs) I I had, I had a sister who knew how I felt and she, she, we basically concocted a story and said, okay, this is what you're going to (laughs) say, but it still didn't make it any easier. It still didn't make it any easier for my mom to deal with. And she just was not, she was so not aware. And I think, I think that I thought that I was aware when the same thing ends up happening to my daughter. And it's just like, there's just these these generational things that we keep seeing happen over and over again. And it may not be all of the things happening over again, but sometimes it is. And it's just like, 
I want people to get out of this book. How do you learn how to break a generational cycle and change the narrative for your family? And I believe it comes in sharing your stories. And that's what that's what I'm doing in this book. So that other women who are sitting in the midst of their situations can say, I need to go talk with my family or I need to go share some things with my children or I need to get transparent about what's happening in my life so that they can also know what they can do if they believe. I want to get into some specifics about breaking that generational trauma and about those stories. But before we do, just a little more background. So at 17, you get pregnant. And if I remember correctly, that was your first child, Dylan. Yes. But you didn't marry Dylan's father, but found yourself getting married pretty shortly thereafter. Talk about kind of that beginning chaos as you were getting married economically, emotionally. What was kind of going on in your life? So my baby was 13 months old when I married my ex-husband. I was only 10 days out of my 20th birthday. And I really think that I've learned now all these years later that this is why 19-year-olds probably shouldn't be making (laughs) these kinds of decisions. But I went from answering to my parents to answering to my husband and then answering to my children. And there was just never a time for me to find out who I was and what I wanted to do. And so then I come into a marriage that's ready-made with children already. And then these children are thrown into my life. And then all of a sudden they're calling me mom. And I'm just, it, it was weird for all of us involved. I don't know how how my ex-husband felt about it or what what it was to him. But as I've talked to my children over the years about it, it was just something so strange for all of us. And it's so much that I wish that I had known them, but I was a kid too. And we just were all growing up together. And so then I'm out here trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents and trying to figure out how do I make this money work? I had learned from my mother's household how to not run the dishwasher at certain times, how to not ha- how to keep the blinds down, to keep the energy in the house. But if I didn't have full control over all of the money, then I also didn't also have full control over the narrative either. And that's something I really get down into deep about the things I learned after the fact and how I would have never made this decision had I known what it was that I was getting myself into. And so in this book, I'm getting extremely vulnerable about some of the decisions that I made, some of the things that I've been through, because I want other people to know that they're not alone. And for me, I felt alone. And I felt like it was only me that was making stupid decisions. And it was only me that was in this valley that I was in. And I'm learning as more and more people get a hold of my story. There are some, some generational traumas that women and men alike are experiencing. And it's hitting us in our pockets and it's hitting our children, you know, in their education. And it's just, it's hitting us in our relationships and it just doesn't have to. You go into a lot of depth about those early days, the marriage, your economic struggles. We're talking about car repossessions. We're talking about multiple moves. We're talking about having trouble paying for the electricity bills, living in different cities. 
before we start seeing the sunshine come back out, I want to talk about one of the darker moments. Your ex-husband almost took your life. Yeah. And it's really a sentinel part of the book. What happened? Yeah, it's something that I've never shared publicly. It, it's a story that after I wrote it down, I went to my daughters and I talked to them about it and asked them, were they okay with sharing it? I, you know, and it's so funny, you know, as I presented the story to my daughter, I said, is this good? And she said, that's such a weird word for you to use as I read the story and re- relive it in my head. I can't say it's good. Is it well-written? Yes, mom, it's well-written. That's what it is. But I can't add good to it. I said, ooh, that's that's really good, daughter. Like, thank you for helping me to be mindful of the way that I even bring back up the details of this. But my ex-husband was a military man who had been tra- a trained, a trained sniper. And he he missed. And it was the miss that saved my life. And when I journeyed back and remember, I saw God freeze time for me. And it, it made me think every time, you know, you go into a day and it's like, oh, this day is dragging on or, oh, that day went by really fast as I was writing this book down and I, and I was reliving the moments, I realized how many seconds it was between making it to a phone and getting somebody on the line who could help me and me getting out of that front door and jumping over all of the steps to save my life was just a matter of about 60 full seconds. But in the moment that we were in, the time had stood still. And that's what I want. I, I I leave a lesson in there for people that now when the day goes by really fast, I thank God for it. And when the day slows down and it seems to drag on, I thank God for it. And then I pray for somebody who God might be freezing time. And we're all feeling that frozen period of time where the earth kind of had to or the sun had to stand still so that somebody could jump over a a staircase to get out to freedom. And that's what happened to me when, when I got pushed down a hall and found an ax coming for my head. And it's something that I've never, it's a story I've never shared with anyone before, but I wrote it down on the inside of this book because there are battered women who are living their lives with smiles on their faces like I did. And who are dressing their children in coordinated outfits and colors, just like I did. And and behind closed doors, what's happening on the inside of their house is staying on the inside of their house. And I'm letting them know, me too. I'm letting them know it happened to me too. And you don't either have to stay there or you can. But whatever thing you decide to do, I understand. And I'm not judging you. I'm just I'm just holding your hand. We are talking to Mignon Francois. She leveraged her last five dollars, the only money to feed her family, and turned it into a ten million dollar cupcake empire. 
And we are talking about generational trauma. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Mignon Francois. Her highly anticipated memoir is entitled Made from Scratch, Finding Success Without a Recipe. So Mignon, you just finished telling us the story of the day your life almost ended. Anyone listening to this may feel like there's maybe some real negativity to the story, but actually this is a very positive, optimistic book you've written. Part of the reason why is because clearly you found a way to step out of the generational trauma and tell some of your stories. One of those stories, which I found incredibly interesting, is there was a day that changed things for you. You said your name, Mignon, means beautiful, but growing up, you had never really felt beautiful. And a friend of yours convinced you to come over to her house and do a photo shoot. And that changed your life and your perception of yourself. Tell us about that day and how things changed. Yeah, so Karima Kibble is one of my best friends. I met her when I was 10 years old. We had just gotten back to New Orleans and my parents had put us in private school. And so we we were in school together and we've been friends ever since. And she was she was having a baby and I had come over to do a photo shoot for her because in my former life, I was a photographer. And she she said to me, you always make everyone else feel so pretty. I want, you know, you to see 
yourself the same way. And I was like, oh, it's never going to happen for me like that. She's like, just put the camera in my hand. Show me where to point it and just let me show you what I can do. And I just thought this was such a huge feat. And, and so she was literally when the pictures came back, this was before filters and Instagram. I saw the woman on the picture and I recognized her as myself, but there was nothing that I could do to say that that girl on that picture wasn't beautiful. And I remember Karima just sitting back and saying, see, I told you. And, you know, she would always say things like that to me, like, oh, you don't need any makeup. Oh, you don't need this. Oh, you don't need that. And I so desperately wanted and felt like I needed those things just to make me feel something. But when I saw myself on that image, that was when it all changed. It was just like, There were no words that I could use to take away that the woman in this picture was beautiful. And so I started, I put the picture in my phone. I stuck it in my mirror Hmm. to remind myself that even if I couldn't see it, I could look at it. And there was a difference. Even though I couldn't see how beautiful she was, I could look at her and see how beautiful she was. And I wanted people to know that I was genuine and I and I wanted so badly, Jordan. I would I would be sitting in a crowd, you know, wanting to be seen or wanting to to let some of this stuff who 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 is me to come out. And it wasn't until I could look at myself and and be all right with what I was looking at that I could walk into rooms now and own them and walk into rooms and say what was on the inside of my head that wanted so badly to get out. And that's what, like, I thought that it was going to be so easy to write all of this down in a book, (laughs) but it took me two years to write my own story. And I had lived it because there was so much that I wanted to say and so much I could say. And at the same time, you know, wanting to tell the story that was not just my story, it was my parents' stories, my family stories, my children's story, as much as it was my story. It was the story of the people in New Orleans. It was the story of the people in North Nashville. It's like, how do I put all of this in a book? And so that's why I say it's so important for people to write their stories down because you will come full circle and really come to know yourself. But it wasn't just that time with Karima behind the camera. That's that's what gave me the confidence to walk into the room, right? But it really was the knock on the door from my friend Joni that really changed my life financially. And I was sitting in, I was sitting in the house with no electricity doing the Dave Ramsey baby step plan when she knocked on the door. I was filling my tub with water from the grocery store because running water wasn't always available. And she asked me to make cupcakes for all of her clients for the season. And I just said, okay. And she <laughs> saw this like weird perplexity on my face. And she goes, listen, you, I won't be able to pass them all out in one day anyway. So as you make them, I'll pay you. And I was like, 
oh, okay. So if I, I make something today, you're going to pay me today. And she said, yes. And so she's like, we got a deal. She's so excited. And I'm just like trying to pretend to be excited, but you know, it was really <laughs> private. It's like, I don't know. I'm supposed to pay for this. And I close the door and I say, God, really? You bring this opportunity when I have no money to take it. And I heard God say, but you have $5 and I feed birds and they don't toil or store up in barns. And how much more will I do for you who looks like me if you believe? So I take the $5 and go to the store and buy everything I could buy with the $5. And like she says she would, I delivered them and she gave me money for that. And I took the 60 and I turned it into 600 by the end of the week. And I've been flipping, it's that same money that I've been flipping all these years because I didn't have credit. I didn't have knowledge of the business. In the beginning, I didn't even know how to bake. I was just practicing on my neighbors and they were loving what I was making and thought I should create an entire business out of this. And when I had that 600 in my hands, I knew that this was a key to unlock the door that had been holding me prisoner on the inside. Something that strikes me about your story is your process of dealing with this generational trauma often included people who changed your trajectory, right? So there was Karima who did the Photoshop. There was Joni who came and asked you to make the cupcakes. Your facility for cooking or baking actually was a gift from someone else in your life. Tell us how you even knew that you could make these cupcakes in the first place. Yeah. I, I, so I was listening to the radio and the man on the radio was telling people they could get out of debt by having a bake sale or a garage sale, but we had sold everything we had to get to Nashville in the first place. So I was like, okay, I guess it's going to be a bake sale, but I don't know how to bake, not even out of a box. And so I go to my little girls who are baking all the time and every day, uh, because our family loves cake and cookies and brownies and things, just sweets. And so um, I let them know that let's make, you know, let's do what the man on the radio says we can do. And shortly after my oldest daughter let me know she really wasn't interested in my little bakery idea that she was going back to New Orleans where we're from. And so I had to call my grandma on the phone. And when I got my grandmother on the phone, I was like, grandma, the man on the radio says you could get out of debt by having a big sale. Can you help me? And she was like, girl, you don't even like being in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but I had spent a lot of time with her. My grandmother was one of my favorite people in the world. And if I could help her get out of the kitchen faster so that we could be together, then that's what I wanted to do because she was always working. She was always cooking. She was always cleaning. She was always doing for someone else. And so I spent a lot of time snapping beans, stuffing roast, cutting garlic and all these kinds of things with her. So I knew her hands. I knew what I knew how, what her methods were. So when she said, well, grab up this much flour, pinch this together, measure to the line of your finger. She didn't have a recipe written that I could use, but I did understand her way. And it was the time that I had spent with her that God had honored and my science background. And that's what I want people to hear. Every stupid thing that you've ever had to do is taking you from where you are to where it is you want to be. And it was my science background that came to serve me in that moment. And I was able to put together what my grandmother had given me, 
and all the science that I couldn't apply to the human body from being a pre-med student in school, flunking out, that now I had all of the tools that I needed to make a recipe for success. And so I always remind people that I'm not a baker, I'm a scientist. And building a business is a lot like Baking and baking is a science. And so what I learned in the process was I am a picture of what economic insecurity looks like. I don't look like I need anything. I'm going to sit in the cubicle next to you. And you don't know that it took me all the money that I had to even get here to work today. Or some days I had to keep my children at home. In order because I didn't have gas to get them to school. And so, you know, every everything that's happening into to you in your life is actually happening for you. And so I I took that scientific method that I'd learned in school and I applied it to a business. And the first thing I realized is that a business solves a problem. Well, the problem I needed solving was we needed to get out of this debt and I needed to be in control of our money because being a stay-at-home mom, I was just being given whatever my husband was bringing to the table after he had used it forever, he, what he, whatever he wanted to do. Then he brought me what was ever left. And so I started stuffing cash into envelopes, doing the Dave Ramsey baby step plan is an envelope stuffing system. And so I started stuffing and hiding money in order to accumulate money for electricity bills and things like that. And that's how I began to dig my way out of debt. And when I got that $600 payday, I knew I wanted to have more bake sales. In case anyone missed it, that guy on the radio was Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, who has actually helped millions of people over time, especially economically insecure people, get a better hold of their finances. So you went from nothing to making $600 with a bunch of cupcakes. Sounds like instant success. Talk to me about the trajectory of your bakery business. Was it an overnight success or is that oversimplifying? I I, I love that that. Overnight success takes 10 years, first of all. <laughs> and when I put that sign out that said, you know, bakery coming soon, it did not come soon. <laughs> it took me, it took me two years of working every day like it was a job before that bakery ever even opened. And you I said, think- and I've seen you write this, you say you wanted to be the Beyonce of the cupcake business. <laughs> You studied some of these icons, right? Some of these really successful people. Tell me what they taught you about success and how to get there. Oh, I love this question. You have to be regimented. And I think more than anything, you have to quit quitting. If I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit on me. But you have to quit quitting and you have to be regimented. And what I learned most from all of those successful people is they never look back on their traumas and say, you know, oh, poor me, right? You always, you never hear them say, I wouldn't do it all over again. And that's the thing that I learned is that I had to take lessons. I had to look for the lesson that was being set before me. And I had to say, what am I going to call it? What am I going to do with it? And that was the lesson that I learned from all these successful people is that they never complained about their past. They were regimented 
And when, when they grinded, they also retreated for rest. And I, I think a lot of times we get so into, oh, I'm going to grind because, you know, I used to say this, it, I can sleep when I die. But I learned in the process that I needed to recover so I could keep living while I was alive. <laughs> I like that. I could keep living while I was alive. Was there an inflection point in the business? Like a point where you were getting along, doing fine, and then it all of a sudden took off? I, I think that it just kind of happened over time. And the same thing with being in the traumas that I was in. You know, a lot of people look back at my life and say, wow, you've come through some things. And I just think I didn't know that it could be different, right? I didn't know that everybody else wasn't just living and I was the only one in this space. And I think when you're just living your life and you're just going day by day, it's just like a building block one thing at a time. And I think I was just showing up to it one thing at a time. The 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 thing that let me know that I had a business that I could do was that knock on the door for my neighbor. And then, you know, being there and knowing that as I was making these dollars and I was stuffing money and hiding them in envelopes that I could keep the electricity bill on and that those people wanted me to win and that the people in my neighborhood wanted to come in and buy cupcakes. And that was the problem we were solving. We brought a hometown bakery right into the middle of a little town. And we showed people that there was a reason and always a reason to celebrate. And we just made the celebrations accessible. Tell me about the role of faith in your success. I mean, it's a huge part of the book and we haven't really covered it much today, but Clearly, your faith, your belief in God, your belief that you have been given a path to take and you just needed to learn how to see that path. Yeah. It seems like it really helped you. Do you think, let me turn that around and say, do you think you can make this kind of journey like the one you made without faith? Oh, I believe that faith is currency. I believe that faith is like currency and it will perform for you like money. And that's one of the things I think you're referring to in the book. I, I coined a phrase called faith currency. I was afraid that if I didn't choose to do this the best way that I could, that I was going to die. <laughs> because I, God was awakening me to, at 317 every morning to talk about this. And, and the thing was, choose life, Mignon. I'm setting before you life and death, breath, blessings and curses. Choose life so that your family can live. And so I, I started realizing that if God was going to be in it, he was also responsible for it. And so as I would, as I would do a little thing, God would give me more. And so as I never had a place where I didn't have enough and even more than enough. And it was it was because of faith. And I believe that faith offers a bigger return on investment than money does, but you can't get out of it what you don't deposit into it, just like money. It's like you can't withdraw from a bank anything that you didn't deposit into it. And it takes a really long time for your investment in the bank just sitting in the savings to give you a return on your investment, but faith doesn't work like that. If you have faith even teeny tiny like the size of a mustard seed, 
the Bible tells us, which is, which is, you know, my religious grounding, you can tell a mountain to move from here to there and it has to go. And there's no amount of money that can do that, but you just need a teeny tiny bit of faith to be able to, to make that move happen. And so I just started testing the things that God was saying, the, the the promises that were on the inside of the Bible that I was reading every single morning. It's like, if you ask me, I'll answer you. <laughs> and so I would just open my eyes every morning and say, God, okay, I, I don't know. I haven't made any mistakes yet today, but I'm about to put my feet on the ground and I need to know which way to go. And I began to learn to hear what the Holy Spirit sounded like. And I began to know that he didn't want me to live like I was living in lack and in less than, but that my savior had come so that I might have life and be able to live it to the full. If I didn't do that, then I was wasting what he died for me for. So I began to really stalk success. I began to stay up for that success and work as hard as I could in order to get it and save every dime doing it. And that we open a business debt-free with no knowledge, no experience. And now we, I couldn't even bake when I started. And now our bakery has been voted as the best cake in Tennessee and the best cake in Louisiana. And now we're opening shops in in these states where we already exist, but we have just this greater trajectory to bring it across the country in places where we've been historically enslaved. Because I think the greatest, the greatest testament to the success of this business is those women who came before me, who couldn't have free enterprise, who worked on the plantation and whose labor was taken from them. And I think it's a mighty move of God that I get to make a living in the same industry that enslaved my ancestors. I get to have free enterprise and now make a legacy and leave that for my grandchildren. So made from scratch, admittedly, the title talks about your cupcakes made from scratch, but tell us about the other meaning, what that means to you and and the journey you went through. Oh, this is so good, Jordan. I call it made from scratch, finding success without a recipe, because I believe that my life truly was made from scratch. I looked up the word scratch and it has so many meanings to it. And I learned in the process that scratch is the line where a race begins. And when you start at that beginning and you start running on that path, you know, I told you before, I want to put that baton in my hand and tell my children, don't go back to the scratch line. But scratch is the place where you have zero. It means nothing. It means nada. So I had nothing. But from the beginning, God was making me and everything that was happening was shaping my life for this race that I was going to run so that when I ended up where I was going to be, somebody counted me out. Somebody tried to scratch out my life, but God saved me so that I could open up my mouth and tell other people about what they could do if they believe. So I believe I was being made from scratch from the beginning. Vinyan, it's been a pleasure having you on today. As I think about this conversation, I really do think a lot about generational trauma and what you went through in your journey. And it reminds me that first we have to learn how to believe in ourselves, and then we have to accept those gifts of all those people around us. And last but not least, we have to learn how to tell our stories. And that is exactly what you've done with this book. 
Made from scratch, finding success without a recipe. Tell us, Mignon, when that's going to be available. So the book is available right now on Amazon.com. And so it's called Made from Scratch, Finding Success Without a Recipe. Thank you so much for having me. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. As you all know, I've been thinking a lot about what stimulates change in our life. How do we start taking action towards doing things we want to do? How do we not get stuck in analysis paralysis? It's really easy to do nothing. We are so afraid that if we change something, if we try something new, or if we leave our job or what we're comfortable with, that we'll make a horrible mistake and never be able to go back. But most of us, most of us never worry about the exact opposite, that we'll stay where we are, never improve, never change, never do what we actually want to do in life. So we get stuck in this analysis paralysis and we do nothing. I've been trying to think about ways for us not to do that. And so there's this huge amount of friction in our lives. The friction is not to change. The friction pushes us to be complacent and not do anything differently. The opposite of friction is action. In order to change our lives, we have to take action no matter how small. And once we start taking these actions, one action on top of the next, even if they're really, really, really small, we start building momentum. And it's momentum that carries us through. I've been reading a lot of detective novels lately, especially ones that have to do with the LAPD. There's always this point in the storyline where the detective goes from not knowing anything to then solving the crime. And the period in between is called that period of momentum. When momentum is building, when the information is becoming more and more known, when actions are starting, it works in solving a crime in these detective novels. And I think it also works in changing our lives. We have to start with these small actions until they build momentum. And only once we have momentum going... Can we break through the friction? I was thinking a lot about this when I was reading Mignon Francois's book, Starting from Scratch. This idea that she was stuck in analysis paralysis, she knew she was meant for something bigger, but yet she couldn't overcome friction, the friction of believing that she wasn't enough, the friction of believing that she wasn't beautiful like what her name means. And so she had to start building these small actions. The actions were learning how to make cupcakes. The actions were learning chemistry in college. The actions were all these small things that when the time was right, they built into momentum, which was that moment when her friend came over and ordered $600 worth of cupcakes. That was the moment when momentum overcame friction. So in a lot of ways, I can't tell you how to make your life better. I can't tell you how to strive towards new goals or be successful at them. But what I can tell you is if you don't take action, things are never going to change. And that ultimately, a series of actions, a series of steps, maybe you start with something small, something 
that isn't scary, something that doesn't have major consequences, but you have to start on these small actions to eventually build momentum to eventually overcome friction. And that's really what we're talking about on Earn and Invest. What we discuss in all of our episodes, it's also what I talk about in my book, Taking Stock, a hospice doctor's advice on financial independence, building wealth, and living a regret-free life. If you all remember last Thursday, I basically said that if you want a free copy of Taking Stock, the way to get one would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts for Earn and Invest. I want you to leave a review about the podcast, what you do or don't like about it. And at the end of each week, I'll look at the reviews and give one person a free book. This started last Thursday, so I am ready to give away my first book. And this one goes to A Breezy Free, and it was put in last Thursday. A Breezy Free says, I love this podcast. Doc G does a great job on interviewing and getting the right info from people. Overall, just a great podcast in my top three. If you haven't bought his book, just as great as the podcast. Well, thank you, A Breezy Free. As always, I appreciate the feedback. That is how I make Earn and Invest better. And if you want a free copy of Taking Stock, the best way to get there is submit a review on Apple and then send me an email or connect with me on social. Take a picture of that review. Send it to me so I know that you did it. And at the end of each week, I'll pick a new winner and you will get your free book. I'm really, really excited to get this book in the hands of people. Look, I have thousands and thousands of people listening to this podcast. Obviously, you come back for a reason because you like the show. Well, the book, Taking Stock, is everything that's in this podcast and more. I love you to check it out. And as always, I hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time. All right, I leave things running just for the two or three minutes before you have to go, just as an after show. Um, your story is fantastic. And Thank you, you tell it with such life and feeling, and it's clearly like, obviously, this is where you, how you got to where you are today. But I, I like I said, I, I enjoyed every minute of reading that book. I enjoyed your writing style. Uh, I enjoyed the stories. I think um, there's a lot good here that I think people can read and learn from. Thank you so much. I like we we touched on things that I hadn't even said publicly. So what what you meant some of the things you asked and you mentioned were things that no one's ever asked me. So that'll be that'll be the thing that's very different. And I love that it's that your podcast comes out right after uh like Yeah, because Heidi asked Heidi me. told me. So I wanted yeah. to make sure we got it out soon. And you yeah, know people people are gonna be asking questions about that because like as I've been you know, on the podcast and I know some of the, you know, podcasters, one of them who I'm really close to was like, I didn't even want to bring that up because I would be crying right now. Hmm. You know, it's like, I, I didn't even know you ever experienced those things because I'm just happy, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. I believe that that's what God will do for you when he redeems you. It's just like, you can still have joy. You don't have to, when you smile, the whole world just smiles right back at you. 
Yeah, we we are a product of of the trauma we went through, and as painful as that trauma is, it also makes you the fantastic person you've become with the unique messages you have to give. So, like I said, I mean, I really believe this, and I thought lots about what the introduction was just about, which is this: there is, it's really hard. There's no equivalence in trauma. Like, I can't. What I went through is what I went through. What you went through is what you went through. Um, but that doesn't mean that. Right, we don't benefit from telling each other stories. I know you Tanisha's have to go for asking, your next one. Tanisha's yeah. asking if you're a therapist. She's like, he's really good. No, so I am a physician. So uh-huh. I, I'm a physician, and I actually left mm-hmm. my practice when I burned out from medicine, but still do hospice and palliative care. So I deal with death and dying a lot. Uh, yeah. But I just have a love of interviewing people, and yeah. so my goal always is. I apologize. My goal is that all other interviewers will pale in comparison to this one. So <laughs> it, like it was like a talk show, yeah. like you would make for very good, like talk show television. Yeah. I mean, it will, I mean, this, this stuff is so important and, and there's, I, I, you know, my sad thing only is I can't really do the book justice because it would take us five hours. Right. I mean, yeah. we, I try I mean, like to I said, create a conversation ask- that gets some good stuff out. Yeah. You ask questions. Nobody, like you pulled stuff out of the book that, I think you could tell really were the deep, heavy things for me is like from Karima showing me that I was pretty to, you know, my husband trying to kill me. What did that do to my children? Like I said, I've never, and and then bring that back to my grandmother and everything. Oh, I see you're telling, we have to yeah, hop you, up. You got to go to the next one. I thank you so, so much for that interview. Like I said, just your voice. I mean, I could listen to you all day. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.